Sports Radio 610 presents Seth Payne and Sean Pendergast. We coming to age time. Let's get the work in, man. Let's go. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Happy Friday to all of you. We made it to Friday. Great to be with you. Appreciate you getting up with us. We are with you till 10 a.m. today, and then we are on airplanes this afternoon back home. And it's great to be with you. It's been awesome bringing you spring training all week. Big thanks to Shoppa's John Deere. I'm Sean Pendergast. He is Seth Payne. And we are done with the games this week, my friend. Yeah. Hell of a week. Yeah, it was a good week. Uh, I feel like we accomplished a lot. Yeah. So uh, the Astros are better off for us having been there. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 They, under, they, they faced the scrutiny of Seth Payne, Sean Pendergast, and Adam Spolin. And stood up to it. They did. They yeah. did. A lot of people were worried about the pitch clock. I was... Um, you know, it is weird. In a baseball locker room, I feel like I, I stick out a little bit more. Yeah. Like I kind of blend in in a football locker room. We're in a baseball locker room. It's... And then Jose Abreu showed up. Yeah, Abreu's a beast, man. <laughs> I got psyched about Abreu. He's a, I, he should ride a Harley everywhere. <laughs> he should roll into the clubhouse in a Harley. Yeah. And, uh, and, just, and just be the big brute of a dude. He's, he's exactly what the Astros need. Uh, as they move forward, uh, continually hated by the rest of baseball, he needs to get off the bus first. You know, that old, that old metaphor. It's an old football adage. Yeah, that's a, the Astros should just start arriving in, in, in buses. In buses yeah. with Jose Abreu coming on. Yeah. That's yeah. why they signed him. The tricked out bus. We, lo- we love the durability and the batting average and everything, but we're going to start showing up on buses and yeah. we want you to be first off. It is kind of cool seeing him out there so much. Like he's easily at an age where he could kind of say, "Yeah, I need, I need three at bats over the course of this month." We saw and him twice this week. I know we haven't seen Bregman once he's yet. He's played a bunch, I know. So <laughs> um, he just likes being out there, getting his reps in. Yeah, that's always a good. Like it's a good example for the for the youngsters to see guys like that that are still going at it that way when they don't need, when they. I say they don't need to. I mean, in Abreu's mind, yeah, he absolutely needs to. Um, but when you sign an older guy like that. I feel like we're in the city of Houston. We're always going to be stained by the memory of Ed Reed. So when you sign a big name who's in his thirties, and then all of a sudden he shows up and like, oh yeah, he's just playing out the string. This is a nice paycheck for him. It's nice to see somebody that's really genuinely grinding. Yeah, I thought. uh, I think the theme for this week, obviously, the the focus has been on our defending World Series champions, but. The, the pitch clock, I think, it, it was really cool to be able to be at games this week yeah. as this new rule kind of unfolds. And yesterday's game was another one that was a, a shorter, a much shorter game than the average Astros game. Two hours and 25 minutes. We did the math in the car on the way home yesterday um, from Jupiter. Um, it was a 30-minute trip, so it took us all that time to do this math because yeah. we're radio hosts. But the... Uh, the average game that we went to this week of the, the, the four games added together average two hours and 35 minutes. That is 30 minutes shorter than the average Astros game. And yeah. as Adam Spillane points out, anytime we bring this up, it'll be a little different in the regular season where the games are a little more tense. There's more pitching changes. Well, the, the commercials the, are uh, an issue, too. Like the one longer game was an ESPN game. Uh, against the Mets, so they were yeah, like they had added extra commercial. But time. even that one, Seth. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. Even that one uh, was that was an eight to four game with 17 walks in it. Yeah, and commercials, as you pointed out, and one in game, uh, one intra inning uh, pitching change. Yeah, right? they brought yeah. one guy in the middle. of the But it was just yeah. a naturally longer game yeah. with all the runs and everything. 
It was only three hours and 15 minutes. Right, right. That's only 10 minutes longer than the average Astros game. Right, right. I'm, I'm just saying, though, that was also longer because of the extra commercial. Like, there will be extra commercials at times yeah. during the regular season than there are in preseason yeah. games. Yeah. Um, fan, who's on, like, his 19th Twitter handle now, uh, he, he has a contrarian, or he's a, a, a view different than ours, but I think it makes sense, and I think it's what some people are feeling. Uh, he says, I'm still on the fence about the pitch clock. We'll see how it goes, but what I've noticed is, See, I disagree with this part. The people that don't like baseball love it, and the people that love baseball don't. No, that's, that's false. That's false. But he says, I'm pro bringing more action and less, um, less something or other. I'm also pro growing the game in other sports fans and kids that have the attention span of a gnat. But I'm highly skeptical this is the way to do it. I like the casualness of baseball. I like being able to turn on a game and do some stuff around the house without having to pay full attention to every pitch or at bat. Yeah, you can still do that. Our whole lives are being rushed from one thing to the next. You can still do that. Yeah, you still can. Yeah, yeah 100% stopping still you can. From, yeah. There are still commercial breaks every this is a This is another curious thing that I, I understand and get it because um, you, your knee-jerk reaction, I guess, is like, well... They're not going to make as much money off of commercials. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no clock the on the commercials. They'll take the same commercial breaks. So yeah. You still have that time. And I think the thing, that, the thing that to remember is that this is, if you find yourself acting like, well, I've got an incredible attention span uh, because, you know, I'm part of the greatest generation, right. generation X, whatever. Um, the, average, the average length of a baseball game was like two and a half hours Forever, yeah. right up until about the 90s. Yeah. So for the most part, the actual greatest generation, uh, you know, the baby boomers, people that fought in World War One, World War Two, all of those people uh, watched baseball games with a uh, a much shorter duration than we do. Yeah. So if I apparently they had short attention spans too. Apparently you're saying that World War One and World War Two vets and Korean vets were just uh, idiots and dullards. And That's frankly, exactly what they're saying. I yeah. won't sit here and stand for it. Right. I'm not right. going to sit here and allow baseball purists to talk like World War Two veterans. Disrespect our veterans. Are some little crumb bums. Yeah. Yeah. yeah crumb bums. Why don't you have you got the guts to walk into a nursing home yeah. and tell a World War Two vet that he's got his attention span is then too short? At me, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, basically, you're basically allied yourself with Hitler, exactly. <laughs> if you don't like the pitch clock, it is. It's just it's math, Sean. Okay, it's math. <laughs> so, so on Saturday when I didn't like it, I was a Nazi. But now, uh, now that I've been converted, I'm I'm a red blooded, true blue. American. You've seen the light, but okay. you're gonna have to flee to Brazil because okay. I'm gonna I'll, I'll extradite your ass. <laughs> okay, <Yeah. laughs> I I've been converted. I like the pitch clock. As far as yesterday's game goes. Yesterday was yesterday was fun because that was the one that felt most like a real Astros game. They just brought a bunch of pitchers out there that, whose names we knew, and they were mowing down Cardinals the entire yeah, day. Yeah, Framber came Framber, out. Framber, Javier, Neris, and Abreu mm-hmm. all pitched the first. I think they pitched cumulatively the first six innings of that game. Framber looked uncomfortable, and yet the outcome was fine. Yeah, if you looked at the box score, you wouldn't know it. And they were facing good batters. I mean, they were facing Goldschmidt and the rest of them there. Um, so I. I was I found myself worried about Framber partly because he just looked so uncomfortable with the pitch clock, and yet ultimately, you know, like he like he let a guy on base but gets a double play out of yeah. it. The, so you know, the fears with Framber somewhat were like, oh, what's he going to be like without the shift? Uh, I mean, the answer is if you're giving up soft contact, yeah, there might be a few more that get through the hole, but he's also going to there are going to be a lot of double plays and yeah. everything. Yeah, and you said uh, as you pointed out, the extra five seconds. 
on the when a guy's on base. When a guy's on base <laughs> might, might actually be good for Framber. He might to, be better off with a guy on first. Just go ahead and because <laughs> the, the pitch clock's twenty seconds when a guy's on base as opposed to fifteen just, when the bases are empty. Just intentionally walk the first guy up every time. <laughs> exactly but, <laughs> because then it's a double whammy. He gets the extra five seconds, but then he also you know has a better chance of a double Induces, play getting guys out with ground balls. That's yeah. his that's his gimmick. Uh, Christian Javier looked like a stone cold faced assassin. Out yeah, there. the pitch clock not going to be a problem for Javier. <laughs> like Urquidy and Javier were the guys that you first think of when you hear a pitch clock where you're like, yeah, so like this yeah, they, is, they're, they're outpacing. Like Javier's just catching it and just getting back into his windup. It's great. I said he looked like the kid that always finishes the math test first. Yeah. And then just, but the, the polite kid that yeah. just like finishes the math test and sits there like straight up with good posture waiting, waiting for everybody else to finish. That's who he is. Not looking around like an annoying like, oh, you guys, yeah. what are you guys still working on your math test? Right. No, he's the nice smart kid. That's right. He's a smart kid that goes on to do great things instead of, you know, like rail against the pitch clock and support Nazi causes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like sign a five-year, $64 million contract. Yeah. He did that. Um, all right. Uh, so we're off and running on a Friday. So we've got spring training going on here. Again, thanks to uh, Shoppers John Deere for bringing us here. Academy Sports and Outdoors as well. We thank them. Oh, um, oh son of a yeah, Brandy. Turns out Brandy's a Nazi. <laughs> oh, she just texted you? Yeah, she agrees with, Astro, with Astros fans. Okay, well, you'll have something to reconcile when you get home. Oh, it's one of the things I never wanted to do is marry a Nazi. Yeah. And now I've done it. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. All right. All right. All right. No, you got, see, you got something on your to-do list when you get home. Uh, so... <laughs> The combine as we're down here, <laughs> as we're down here, the combine is going on up in Indianapolis. Um, I've crossed another prospect off of my big board set this morning. It's not Jalen Carter. He's already temporarily off my big board. I crossed another one off because it reminds me too much of something that was happening with the Texans last mm. year. We'll tell you who it is next. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Shoppers John Deere presents live from West Palm Beach for the start of spring baseball. Thanks to Academy Sports and Outdoors, it's Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610. All right, we're live at spring training in Florida. We head back today. It's been a great week. Thanks to Shoppers John Deere for bringing us down here. In tandem with us being down here, the NFL Combine is going on up in Indianapolis. About an hour from now, we'll check in with Brooks Cabina, who is in Indianapolis at the Combine. Yesterday was defensive line and linebackers working out. Today is defensive backs and special teamers. So DBs working out, so that means corners and safeties. The top corner on the board, Seth, is believed to be uh, Illinois' Devon Witherspoon. And he's one of the top prospects in the draft. He's, depending on what mock draft you look at, he's, he's the one I've seen most often among corners being the first taken off the board at that position. He will not participate in on-field work today at the scouting combine because of a hamstring injury per a source. He had an MRI on Thursday. It's considered minor but not taking chances. Yeah. I have crossed Devon Witherspoon off of my big board. I don't need another first-round cornerback selected that has a hamstring problem. 
That's it. I know it's a minor hamstring at the combine. Yeah. But if he's got a minor hamstring at some stage where he hasn't really been doing anything since the end of the season, nope. I did that last year with Derek Stingley. I don't need two hamstrings in my secondary. Devon Witherspoon, you are the next player crossed off my board for a uh, for a uh, non football. Yeah, you reason. don't need a like if you're looking for vehicles right now. You don't need like a uh, like a tweaked out Lamborghini or nope, something that needs to be already. managed properly. Yeah. You need to get something just uh, something like a like a like a souped up uh, Mustang or something. One of those. One of those Shelby ones that has like a thousand horsepower or something, but is you it can reliable? rely on. Whatever yeah, you just it's said. reliable. Okay, that's yeah, all I need to know. It's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that that and I do wonder though too. I'm starting to come around on people that think you know what the, the Texans really might just take best player available. Um, whether it's one of these incredibly fast edge rushers that were out there, uh, and then it might not necessarily be a quarterback. At two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or trade back a little bit. Interesting. I think uh, I, I saw a couple of Texans fans going at it last night. And one of them said, oh, I wish I could remember who it was. One of them said, well, all the evidence or all the signs point to the Texans taking a quarterback. And I don't, I don't know if I can agree with that because I think a lot of this has still just been conjecture uh, as it happens every year from mock drafts and everything like that. There, there, comes this, there, there becomes this thing that happens every year leading up to the draft where people are so engrossed in it that they start to look at the mock drafts and projections like they're almost facts or they're like reports from sources or something when they're not. It's really just a whole bunch of speculation and it becomes groupthink. And you got to be careful of that. So I don't, I could see the Texans easily taking one of these quarterbacks, but I could also easily see both D'Amico and Casario thinking like, well, look, we really do believe that you can get a quarterback, you know, multiple different ways. And that if we don't feel like these guys are, appropriately rated like these guys aren't we don't feel like any of these quarters actually are actually good enough to be taken in a top 10 then we're not going to bother taking one of these guys with a top 10 pick it's going to be a fun couple months man even just little things yesterday yeah like tweets about the texans are meeting with anthony richardson mm. like that that gets people oh yeah one way or the other yeah you know? and that i mean that happens and, and they are meeting with anthony, anthony they're, they're going to meet with all the quarterbacks yes. and you want to meet with as many quarterbacks as possible because of what i just talked about too even a guy that you might not think you have any chance of drafting this year or wouldn't draft this year, like situations arise. One of these guys falls in the draft or they're a free agent or they're up for trade a couple of years from now. You want to be sure you have a book on all the quarterbacks. So, um, I, yeah, th- right now I think it's anybody's guess. The only thing that I feel is that I, I, I'd be surprised if anybody really thinks Bryce Young is worth trading up for. Like paying a big price to get up to number one. Man, overall. that's it's a big price. Now, if they get a bargain somehow, then, then yeah, it's it's wild. Some of the experts, like experts, not just yeah. rando mock drafts, like experts that we've seen have the Colts and even the Texans, but largely the Colts, yeah, giving up a lot to go up three picks to get Bryce Young. Yeah, the one thing I wonder about with Bryce Young is that some of the more advanced stuff, like now that they have this this cognition test that they use. <laughs> It's got pretty strong correlations to actual performance amongst quarterbacks. I it, it seems like Bryce Young must has been scoring very highly on that. So when you talk about somebody seeing the game differently, there's kind of, there's evidence now that that's literally true. That they see the game differently. That they can register things visually faster than normal human beings. And Bryce Young potentially is one of these guys and uh the really good quarterbacks really good safeties have tested very very well on this test so i i I wonder if 
looking at all the data they have from the past few years on quarterbacks, if some of these guys test really high in tests like that, does that does that outweigh any concerns about size or anything? That'll be interesting to see if that test that you talk about. You brought that yeah. test up a few times this week, and I find it really interesting. That's the one thing that I think has been really, really hard for NFL scouting departments to quantify. Yeah. It's just when the game speeds up, when the defenses get more sophisticated, when there's just more moving parts, when there's more bullets flying, and it's just way more sophisticated, who keeps up with it? Um, it's, that test won't be perfect, obviously. But it's, it's perfect, Sean. But if teams, we'll organize our society around it. It's the if, S2 cognition test. If, if, teams, if teams get better at evaluating that sort of thing, you know, what effect does it have on the game? Does it make yeah. the game higher scoring? You know, if now if we have more quarterbacks who are... Yeah, but you get if, more safeties and corner, cornerbacks, too. I know, but the quarterback has the... I think the quarterback has a bigger ability to impact the game. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, so I... I, it's that, that's an interesting thing to me. Now, now Bryce Young, as far as the Colts moving up for him, the cut, <clears throat> the cut from Ballard the other day, that made me lean towards, because I'm going back and forth on this, and right now I'm leaning towards the Colts not trading up for him, and the the cut that we played from Ballard was just that quick five second cut where he said uh, they asked him like what does what what does the what does the guy need to be for you to move up from four to one to go get him. And he said something along the lines of, no freaking doubt the guy. Yeah. And I think inherently Bryce Young, by virtue of his diminutive stature, can't be that guy. There has to be, because this is the way not just scouts, but human beings operate. Like, you, you compare everybody to a previous model of something. And they in the modern NFL, you've never seen a guy as diminutive as Bryce Young. I'm not talking about short. I'm talking about short and skinny. Yes. As Bryce Young um, be a productive NFL quarterback. So other Doug Flutie is the closest, and even Doug Flutie, I think, is was thicker, like was built more stockier than than Bryce Young. And it's not like Doug Flutie would have been worth a number one overall pick. No. I see people bring Doug Flutie he up. He won like, the Heisman, too. He yeah, was really good. Right, but like Doug Flutie, I mean, he didn't get drafted high either. Like He wasn't considered the t- type of prospect that Bryce Young is. No. But he came into the NFL after being in the CFL forever, and yes, was productive, but it wasn't like you would look at his career and say, oh, yeah, in hindsight, we should have taken him number one overall. Right, right, right. Well, unless you had a CFL team, he wrecked shop up there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was but better than uh, Rob Johnson. He was better than so, Rob Johnson. Yeah, was, that's what you know for sure. He was a good underdog story beating out the surfer dude from California in yeah. Buffalo. Yeah. Um, so, by the way, speaking of the quarterbacks, they, they do their media sessions today. Um, so, Bryce Young, 7 a.m., he will – Meet with the media. C.J. Stroud right after him at 7.20. Anthony Richardson at 7.40. So we got to keep an eye on Twitter and maybe even be rolling on some, uh, some NFL network here in the 7 o'clock hour. Is there a chance that any of them says anything caustic or volatile? <laughs> no, I think these guys are all they, – they seem to I check know. off all the boxes. I know. There it's unfortunate. There's not a Ryan Leaf in this bunch. Yeah. I think at quarterback, that's the one place where they've gotten – has there been a Ryan Leaf type of potential characteristic at quarterback or Jamarcus Russell taken recently that I can think of? That's so well, funny. Like those Zach Wilson, maybe, you know? Uh, yeah, Zach, for different reasons, he's yeah. A, well, you know, he's like a – well, I don't know. But, I mean, Ryan Leaf ended up having chemical dependency issues, but that was almost after he had already established Jamarcus himself as kind Russell of a Jamarcus Russell was the purple drink and right, everything else. Drank. Yeah. And it was – so sorry. Zach Wilson, though, is even worse – like, on the Ryan Leaf side of things, it looks like he might really not handle criticism or yeah. care about his team all that much. That part of it, you know? yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, there's something about 
there's something about Will Levis that just strikes me not not as a physical comparison, but as just like the type of prospect is like a uh, um, a Blake Bortles type. Mm. I'm just like, all right, yeah. I mean, I know I can see how you're shoehorning yourself into believing this guy, okay. but at the end of the day, you're you're being wooed a little too much by. Wow, he looks like an NFL quarterback. Uh, I'm glad you brought up yeah. Bortles. That should be the warning shot for anybody going, "Hey, man, Josh Allen." Yeah. Whoever's standing next to that person who says that, it's their virtue as a good Samaritan. You should turn and go, "Yeah, but Blake Bortles." Right, right, yeah, and uh, and again, it's not a direct physical comp, except that. Sometimes I think people are a little too impressed by like, wow, his actual physical stature. He looks like an NFL quarterback. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. And he's, and he's a good athlete. Yeah. Things like that. But he's inaccurate. But we can fix that. Not sometimes you can't. Um, all right. Uh, so combine going on up in Indianapolis. We got eyes on that. We got Brooks Cabina up there who's going to join us in the 7 o'clock hour as well. Um, up next, uh, more from D'Amico Ryans. Um, the, uh, the head coach of the Texans, um, he – where am I looking at here? Oh, he and uh, he and Casario, uh, they've worked well together so far. What are the particular things? D'Amico brings up the word collaboration quite a bit. What are the things that we've seen early on, signs that D'Amico talking about collaboration is not just talk, that these two are working, working very well together? We'll talk about that next. Shoppers John Deere presents live from West Palm Beach for the start of spring baseball. Thanks to Academy Sports and Outdoors, it's Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610. Yeah, it's been a, a great trip down here in Florida. Thanks to Shoppers John Deere. We had a good dinner last night. Yeah. In which we ran into Damon Amanda Lara of all people. In yeah, that Florida. was weirder. That was even weird. At the time, you were like, wow, that was a big coincidence. And I was like, "Nah, <laughs> I guess." <laughs> yeah, the guy that the guy that we hear every morning is a lead in. Well, Monday through Wednesday is a lead into our show because he does the CBS National Show. So for the first from five a.m. to six a.m., he's on the air. We just ran, run into him into this tiny little Ecuadorian restaurant in yes. South Florida, and uh, and I was I was nonplussed. I, was like, eh, <laughs> I didn't know whatever. <laughs> we could have gone to a hundred different restaurants. We're in Florida. That would have been random if we met him like a, a like a fifty yards from the station. But yeah. we're like in Florida. Yeah. So Damon Amanda Lart. Well, it was funny the way it played out. And and for those who don't listen, super duper early. Da is our lead in on the days where Captain Mickey's not on. He does the CBS Sports Radio show in the mornings on the network. He's really good, and he's a good guy. Yeah. Um. He and he's got a distinct look. He's got. If you look at it, he's got almost caricature-like features as far as his smile goes. He's got like because I've got big teeth, but a gigantic head to go along with it. <laughs> yeah, I feel he's like got a Damon's head. got like my size teeth and a in a, in a smaller head. head. Yeah, I mean he, his his logo is a, like one of those it's boardwalk, a caricature, one of those boardwalk artist caricatures of his face. And so we're, I'm just eating. I got my head down. I'm eating, and we're out to dinner. Me, you, Parker Hillis, our boss, and Adam Spillane. And Parker kind of leans over to me and goes, some guy walked in who looks just like Damon Amanda Lara. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's a distinct look. Like, that's- and I heard Danny Amendola. So the first two <laughs> minutes of the conversation was very confusing. It was really – I was like, I was like, oh, we should ask him about – we need to ask him about Casario. 
And that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, is he the one or Julian Edelman? Seth leans in. He goes, is he the one or, or is it Julian Edelman who said that Casario's a little uptight? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I haven't listened to that it's much an Damon Amandalara. Interesting equivalency there. I, I always get Julian Edelman and Damon Amandalara confused. Everybody does. So once we cleared up that uh, it was it was not Danny Amendola and that Damon Amandalara is not from the Woodlands. No, right. Then, uh, Damon, then we were figured out. So then yeah. the person who it was that Parker points out is standing waiting to go into the restroom I'm like oh no that's Damon Amandalara right yeah. there so we, we chatted with him for a while he was he was mesmerized and fascinated with some of our stories from on the ground with our football team the last few yeah, years. Yeah, he's intrigued by the turnaround in, in public perception of the Texans. Because yeah. he's, he's like anybody else outside of Houston. He hasn't had to follow every excruciating detail and twist and turn, uh, but he sees it from afar. And uh, the hire of D'Amico was a... A big surprise to him. Big surprise. I got a little. I got a little. I don't know if you could tell that I got. A, I, I bowed up a little bit when he he did ask, kind of like, well, so why would D'Amico choose the Texans? And I said, well, listen here, Bucko. Yeah, yeah. And you handed you and you said, get out your phone and you sent him a link to your twenty five minute YouTube manifesto. <laughs> yeah, about, on why D'Amico should be the head. Coach yeah, as the everybody around team. the world was saying, there's no way in hell D'Amico would come to Houston. Uh, I explained exactly why. You got he the would. receipts. You yeah. got the receipts to prove it. So that was cool, man. It's been a it's been a really fun trip. Speaking of D'Amico Ryan's and Nick Casario, here was Nick Casario earlier this week in his session with the media at the NFL Combine on what it's been like working with D'Amico Ryan's. Yeah, no, it's been awesome. You know, he was going back and forth there a little bit. So uh, the first week kind of got a little taxed, but he's been very, uh, very open-minded, very thoughtful. Um, we kind of take our time, really want to think through decisions as we assemble the coaching staff. That was a big part of it. Have a few candidates here, talk to a number of different candidates. All right, let's, you know, he wants to sleep on it, give it some thought. All right, and then come back. All right, yeah, that makes sense. What about this? He's very open-minded. Uh, we have a lot of open communication. There's been a lot of dialogue. Um, we actually met as a staff yesterday offensively and defensively. We kind of went through their evaluation. We gave him some free agents to look at. So wanted to hear the staff's thoughts. D'Amico has his thoughts. I have my thoughts. And we're really going to try to blend everything together here as we're going through. So he's been great. I mean, everything that I think that I heard or knew about him beforehand has come to fruition. And he is who he is. So I think that's the one thing you want to see, like the things you experience during an interview process then you're actually to see him firsthand up close and personal, and it kind of matches. So it's been great. I mean, the honeymoon period is probably over here a little bit. Now we got some work to do, but, you know, it's been a lot of fun to come in the office. Um, the staff has been great to work with to this point. So we know we have a lot of work in front of us. Nothing's going to happen overnight, but, I mean, it's great. It's been great to have him around. It really has. We'll, we'll hear from D'Amico in a second because I want to talk about the collaboration part yeah. of this and, and what they've done together so far. As I'm listening to that and as I listen to Nick, and I listen to Nick's voice and I watch him in the press conference Tuesday and just having kind of watched him operate since they hired D'Amico, he definitely seems like he's got a little more pep in his step with the D'Amico hire. What I wonder is when Nick took this job, yeah. I mean, obviously, his own words on our show, massive undertaking. He knew it was going to be a while to turn this thing around. I wonder who he had in mind when he took this job as to who the coach would be to eventually right, execute what his right. vision was, because it yeah. probably wasn't D'Amico Ryan. You know, if there's one thing that I, I maybe is undersold sometimes about the Patriots' reasons for success, I think it. I think one huge thing is their adaptability. You know, I mean, their defensive scheme has has changed considerably over the years, back and forth between a four three and a three four, um, based on what their personnel is and trends in the league. Their offense would change. You know, the the Tom Brady offense, it wasn't really any consistently themed offense other than that 
they figured out what worked, and by the middle of the season, they kind of got rolling with it. So I think the adaptability, including with what kind of personnel work with each other, is something that Nick was probably open to. It's a good question, though. Like, if, if he envisioned what he would ultimately really like to work with. I think that D'Amico and Belichick at least share some things in common in terms of really not w- trying real hard not to worry about any of the extraneous stuff. Yeah. I think Belichick's a little bit more prone to some of these weird head games and things, and I think maybe some of it is he just holds a grudge at times. D'Amico's not like that at all. Like, like I wouldn't see him partaking in that, but I do think that there's so... They're both very, very focused individuals. And when you start talking about a GM and a head coach having a relationship, the thing that creates the soap opera drama is when you've got one or two individuals in that relationship that just somewhere along the way, like anybody in any bad relationship, just can't let something go or starts needing credit or starts holding a grudge. And I always think back to Bill O'Brien on the Zoom call yelling presumably what looked like that's your pick jack yeah and that that just always sticks out in my head is like john grenard pick yeah Yeah. like what kind of like that just feels like oh that's somebody that brings up old stuff in conversations that's like i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna file this away and it better work out because i'm gonna bring it up again um it's somebody who motivates through fear also yeah or just not a bad thing but fear and intimidation yeah or just like a a, a way too combative for no reason whatsoever you know like that's your like we're having a disagreement it doesn't have to turn into hey i'm keeping score by the way yeah right um and i think that both casario and D'Amico have an ability to set their egos aside and and understand that the other guy's going to screw up. That's one of the biggest things. Like first you got to be able to understand that you yourself are going to screw up in life. And then after you do that, you are you can accept and understand that like, oh yeah, other people are going to screw up too. Yeah. Like an ability to understand that uh, and that's where it's hard sometimes with football coaches or coaches in general are wired to be perfectionists. So understanding how to pull back the perfectionism a little bit mm. and realize like, oh, okay, yeah, we're all going to screw up. We just got to keep on the same path and moving forward. That's how you end up having good relationships. Like, like Sean Payton, I did feel Sean Payton as much uh, as I've had fun talking smack about him. Um, people felt, people kept thinking that Sean Payton needed to have total control and and it didn't make sense to me because he and Mickey Loomis had a very good and healthy relationship for 15 years in New Orleans. And they ran into their share of issues and troubles and bad signings. But when you can set aside your ego, and John Payton's got a big ego, but he's able to set aside his ego to not hold a grudge for stuff like that. Like, that's what this strikes me as with D'Amico and, and Casario. So that's, that's what I get excited about. Because, like, frankly, between, you know, I think with Rick Smith and Gary Kubiak, you had one guy in that relationship that probably couldn't set aside his ego all that much. Bill O'Brien and Rick Smith, two guys that couldn't set aside their egos. Uh, Bill O'Brien and Brian Gain, one guy who couldn't set aside his ego. Jack Easterby and Nick Casario, because that was a weird, like Jack Easterby was a co-GM or whatever he was. He couldn't set aside his ego. But like he is his ego. That's his whole thing. But God, there's nothing I hate more than somebody who like, acts like they're out to help the universe and they're all about themselves. Yeah, yeah. When you talk to somebody like that and they talk about themselves for an hour straight, yeah. Um, because the, the chances are Casario probably had more of a checklist in mind than a specific face in mind. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when he took the GM job, he had probably more of a, a code. Like these are the boxes I want a coach to check. And D'Amico checks a lot of those boxes. I think similarly, 
because I think people wondered with D'Amico too. If boy, if D'Amico comes here, what does that mean for Nick Casario? I think similarly, D'Amico probably didn't have like a specific couple of people in mind he'd want to work with as a GM. Maybe he did. I yeah. don't know. But more more along the lines of. I want my GM – I want to work with a guy who operates this way or thinks this way yeah. or, you know, that kind of thing. And Nick checked those boxes for him because D'Amico had options. Right, right. Yeah, D'Amico had probably more options than any guy in, this, right. in this cycle. I, I think the, the other comparison I would make that makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. as far as what kind of coach is D'Amico like, I mean, A.J. Hinch in a lot of ways because he's, he's a former player who I think – you know, AJ Hinch was an actual psychology major, whereas D'Amico, yeah. I think, just understands the psychology of guys and relates to players very well. But they both have an appreciation for the scientific side of things and the analytical side of things. Yeah. So they become that perfect conduit for a GM like Nick, you know, That's and a good comparison. You know, and Nick's way more, you know, ingrained in the game than Jeff Luna was. He's not an outsider. But there is that part of him that's Hyper analytical, you know, like like Jeff Bruno. Yeah, absolutely. So that part of it, um, that part of it, I like. I like. There are some things the Texans are doing that look a lot more like the Astros now than they used to. Now that's interesting because yeah. Casario's brought up the Astros a few times. Yeah, this. That's I mean, it's it. how like how could you not? Uh, yeah, you know, totally. Well, I mean, what? if you're Bill O'Brien, you would think <laughs> <laughs> it's a football town. <laughs> now, if you're gonna if you're gonna make if they're gonna be more like Astros. Um, you might make an argument for Bryce Young, given Jose Altuve's success. The difference yeah. is that, the difference is the Texans paid ten thousand dollars for Altuve to acquire Altuve. <laughs> the Astros, was it was at fifteen thousand. Yeah, yeah. uh, it was it was very little. It was money. little. Yes. Yeah, it was very. It was much money. less than a uh, number two overall pick. It definitely was. Yeah. It was definitely was. Yeah, he had to come back a second day because they told him to go away the first time. Yeah, yeah, they tried to send him home. <laughs> yeah, with his sack Can you lunch. imagine? Can you imagine, like of all the what ifs, can you imagine? Let's hear from D'Amico Ryans. Here's D'Amico Ryans on what he learned from Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch in San Francisco. I learned from their relationship with John and Kyle that to do things and to be successful in this league, it's all about collaboration. It's about putting egos to the side. It's about truly working together, GM, head coach, but also coaching staff, scouting staff. It's everybody being together. Everybody's opinion matters right making sure everybody is inclusive of what we're trying to do and the players we're trying to bring in so that is definitely a style that myself and nick that's how we operate right we're meeting every morning making sure we're on the same page we're making sure our coaches our scouting department everybody's on the same page everybody is in collaboration to make sure we can be our best okay so where have we seen seth where have you seen evidence so far of the collaboration between D'Amico Ryans and Nick Casario? I think that um, the collaboration, I don't know if we'll see the evidence for it until after a year or two because um, the, like, you don't, if they take a defensive player, I think people are going to think like, oh, good, he let, they let uh, D'Amico get his guy. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. If they take a quarterback, they might, people are going to want to frame it as, well, you know, Casario on his quarterback. And I don't think that's necessarily the case yeah. either. I think a lot of it just has to come into, like, the way they're operating right now, the coaches staying back home. Yeah. That's, that's like an understanding that, hey, let's let the personnel guys do their thing. And we'll let the coaches a learn how to what co- what they're going to be coaching right. and b like look at the more immediate and pressing concern, which is free agents that they might sign. So collaboration's been a buzzword, though. So we have collaboration. Yeah. Collaboration is 
to these two maybe what alignment was to Brian Gain and Bill O'Brien? Yeah, they wanted alignment. Hopefully yeah. this works out better than that. Um, what are the other ones? Collaboration. Uh, swarm. Swarm. Nick, is, Nick has been indoctrinated into Swarm. He I liked, forget what SWARM stands for. SWARM stands for... Um, <laughs> we, we're very impressed with what Special Work Ethic and Relentless Mindset. Oh, okay. That's yeah, right. yeah. Casario, Casario references it. Here was Casario referencing it the other day. Yeah, you're looking at the profile of the player, and sometimes it's some non-football-related things, like their work ethic, their mindset, how do they take coaching, their willingness to improve. Is the player actually committed to being great? So D'Amico's talked about this, the SWARM mindset, that whole mentality. So that's going to be pervasive throughout the organization. So more types of people and more more types of players we get in the building with that mindset, then it'll give ourselves a better chance, hopefully. How important football is to the person matters. This is your full-time job. This is a full-time commitment, and honestly, it's a year-long endeavor. So are you committed to actually doing that when the season's over? What do you do? What's your process? Do you have a routine that's in place? What are you doing to proactively recover? There's so many things along the way, and when you look at some of the great players over the course of our league and history, I mean, everybody obviously talks about how great of a player Tom is, but everything that Tom put into to being a great player sometimes isn't talked enough about. So players like Tom, players like Jerry Rice, we're talking about arguably two of the best players in their position, but there's a reason that they had such longevity. So not everybody is, is wired that way. So are there players that have those traits and characteristics? They're out there. Our job is to kind of find them. Yeah, that, that part too. Like I would disagree with him in that people haven't talked about Tom Brady's work ethic enough. I feel like that's like the A number one thing that they bring up. Like sometimes while diminishing his actual accuracy. So I but I do think that is the the big challenge is identifying those guys. Where forever the Texans would bring in high character guys. And it would turn into like, yeah, these guys are they're I guess they're high character because they're nice to their mothers and they help little old ladies across the street, but they're kinda wimps on the football. Yeah, field. they sure could be meaner like, on yeah, the field. Like so, you know, you can do both. Like Ronnie Lott was a perfect gentleman off the field, but a monster on the field. Like that's what you want to find is that football character. Tobiko Ryan's. Yeah, yeah, honestly. exactly. Right, right. That's exactly <laughs> the kind of guy you want to find. And I think that they're you're yeah, you know what? You're exactly right. D'Amico Ryan's is the kind of the prototype for the kind of guy you want on your team. He shouldn't say that in a team meeting. <laughs> he, sh- he shouldn't that would get be up awesome. like this is guys, this is what we're looking for. Guys like me. You know, and then shows D'Amico Ryan's highlights. He just yeah. he just clicks. He didn't even say his name. We're looking for a guy like this. That's a that's a Russell Wilson move. Oh, that's totally. what they said in that article is that Russell Wilson would have these meetings on on the off day. He'd bring the offense in and a lot of times it just turned into Russell Wilson going down memory lane, uh, showing highlights God. from the Seahawks. Remember when I was good, guys? Did you ever see this on TV Dude, when I was good? I yeah. need I need Broncos on Hard Knocks this year. Yeah, I need to see that. I need Sean, to... It will not happen because huh? Sean Payton can disallow it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. First year head coach. Damn, yeah. damn. <laughs> um, so collaboration swarm. They both talk a lot too about about uh, focusing on the like accentuating the strengths of the players. Yeah, what the guys can do and yeah. not what they can't. And you're you're hearing that a lot. From I've I've heard this from a lot of coaches, you know, especially the guys at the top of the draft, like Chris Ballard, the GM of the Colts, have talked about, you know, look, the scheme is going to be what fits the quarterback, and I think that's where the league is headed. It's less, including with the Kubshanistan, the Kubshanistani offense doesn't need a really athletic quarterback, obviously. Like Matt Schaub did well with it, but there is. Um, there is that element where I think it's hard for a coach to 
look at a quarterback who can run and not think, wow, this opens up yeah. a whole lot. In that you know, offense, <laughs> really yeah, like, for sure. And, now, and it's, I think it's more and more now that because of the RPO, it used to be, it used to be there were some offenses predicated on play action where you think like, oh, wow, if they had like a, if they had a guy like, well, RG3 in Washington yeah. before he got injured yep. um, or somebody like that, imagine what they could do with it. And they just, it, it didn't match up all that often or all that well. Now, almost everybody in the league, because the RPO and because zone reads and everything have become so acceptable and, uh, and known, now like everybody looks at athletic quarterbacks. Like, you look at a non-athletic quarterback, and all you can think about is like, man, like that's a whole – it's like sections of my playbook that we can't run. Yeah, yeah, Or sure. that are less effective. Yep. So it's hard to look at a guy like Mac Jones and really feel like, oh, yeah, that's a boy. I can really envision how awesome we can be. It, it, it's hard to do. You can see why he gets sucked in by Trey Lance yeah. in, in a situation like that. All right, um, Dana Brown, GM of the Astros, he had a one-on-one with uh, Adam Spillane yesterday. Major injury updates. Well, major updates on injuries. <laughs> the injuries aren't major, we hope. Um, but updates on some of the, the key players on the Astros. That's what was making the rounds yesterday. And would Dana Brown... Think about doing an eight to ten year deal on an extension for one of his players. We'll hear from the Astros GM next. 